this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here, my guest this week in the studio, Kate Galvin. Hi, Michael. Thanks Hi. for having me. <laughs> the artistic director of the Cardinal Stage yes, Company. Indeed. Kate, you're going on two years. Yeah, coming up in November. So it's it's uh, feeling like home these days. Apparently, you're happy here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a wonderful community, and uh, yeah, I feel like I've I've hit my groove as a Bloomingtonian now. A Bloomingtonian, almost two years. <laughs> <laughs> you were a big city gal. Yes, very much so. I've lived in big cities my whole adult life, uh, but I grew up in a small town, so moving to Bloomington, uh, I did have some prior experience to small town life. <laughs> well, you came directly from Philadelphia where you were hot stuff <laughs> in the theater world there. Now, well, I'd been there a long time, yeah. Philadelphia, the theater scene, where does it rank among big city theater scenes? Great question. Yeah, so Philadelphia has a really thriving theater scene, um, and it sort of started booming in the late 90s and early 2000s, which is about the time that I was finishing uh, my undergraduate degree. So I was sort of in the right place at the right time uh -huh. to uh, kind of hit the ground running in Philly uh, after I finished at NYU. I would say, you know, New York, of course, is sort of the theater capital of the world, uh, probably uh, with London. I've spent a little time in Chicago. There are definitely more companies in Chicago, more theater companies. Right. Uh, but Philadelphia, Big and little. Yeah, yeah. But Philadelphia is probably right behind Chicago. I ah. mean, I, I don't have the stats at my fingertips, but um, Philadelphia is a major theater city. There are lots of, there are a couple of large regional theaters, and then there's lots of small theaters. There's a bunch of mid-sized theaters. So you can make a living being a theater artist in Philadelphia if you're lucky. There's there's definitely kind of tiers of, of people in terms of who's able to make it work financially, but there are definitely, there's a, a kind of group of people in Philadelphia who they do theater professionally full-time and that is, that's their gig, you know? They're not having to work day jobs or anything like that. Who in Bloomington can make a living at this business? Uh, probably just you? myself <laughs> and my managing director. Um, it's it's really hard here in Bloomington. We just don't have enough work to go around for people. So that's actually been a really big adjustment for me. It's um, a population thing, in other words. Huh? Yeah, well, it, it's just that there aren't enough companies to keep people employed, Yeah. Um, which makes sense for a, a town of this size. So that's actually been a big adjustment for me going from uh, working as a director in the context of regional, the regional theater world where I'm generally working with people who are full-time actors and our regular rehearsal schedule is, you know, kind of a regular job schedule. It's, yeah. you know, 10 to 6 or noon to 6 every day. Then coming here and our talent, uh, they have to keep day jobs and we need to honor that so we uh, adjust our production schedule so that we're rehearsing evenings and weekends in order to accommodate them and allow them to pursue their their passion as an actor while maintaining their uh, <laughs> financial stability um, so what that means for me is that when I'm directing a show as I am now for Great Gatsby I'm in the office from about 9 to 3 every day and mm -hmm. then in rehearsal from about five to sometimes almost 10. So when I'm directing a show, I'm pulling 12 or 14 hour days for several weeks in a row. So when we say this is what you do, we really mean yeah. this is what you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, it's a professional theater company. Yes. So are actors paid? Yes. Okay. Is it union or equity? Good question. So we have a mix of union and non-union actors. Uh-huh. Most of the actors here in town are non-union. It doesn't make a lot of sense for them to join the union because suddenly they become kind of prohibitively expensive and they uh-huh. can't work as much. Um, one of the things I'm working on at Cardinal is sort of trying to build our budget so we're increasing the pay rate for our artists all across the board, but that's a slow process. So right now, most of our shows are a mix of non-union local actors and then either union actors who are local, there's a handful of those people, mm-hmm. or union actors who are either from Chicago or Cincinnati or New York or Philadelphia or wherever they may come from. So for example, in Great Gatsby, we have a union actress from uh, Cincinnati. We have a non-union actor in from New York, and then the rest of the cast, the other seven people in the cast are all local non-union actors. So these people will come here just to sort of live here temporarily yeah they get to come come for you know uh oh. on this show they're here for six weeks three weeks of rehearsal and three weeks of performance and they get to you know check out bloomington and and get to enjoy it for a couple weeks um it's one of the perks of being uh an artist is you get to go you know explore other cities and uh, spend some time in other places when you're working now you mentioned the great gatsby that's the first show of the upcoming 2019 2020 season we're going to go through the whole lineup sure so don't worry about we'll that. Put we, that on hold for now. We'll put that on hold. Are you going to direct any shows this year? So I'm directing Great Gatsby right you now. You are? Yep. And then wow. I'm going to be directing our holiday show, Newsies, and then our spring show, Ada and the Engine, which is a show I'm really excited about. What does an artistic director do? So choosing the shows is a big part of my job. Um, But in addition to choosing the shows, I'm also responsible for hiring all of the artists who work on the shows. So Or casting. Yes. So I do the casting. I also hire the design team. The behind the curtain Mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Hire the directors if it's not going to be me. This year we're doing seven shows. I'm directing three of them. And then we have four guest artists directing the other four shows. So... It's my responsibility to make sure that we've got the right people on the right show. We're playing to people's strengths as artists and that they're kind of working within the standards that we set at Cardinal in terms of, you know, artistry and professionalism and all those things. Are you tempted to direct more shows as a way to save money? So the previous artistic director, the founder, Randy White, directed... Who you replaced... Uh, well, he left, and yeah. so, yes. Yeah. I, well, he um, wasn't fired. No, right, no. right, right, right. I just want to be clear about <laughs> right. that. Um, so Randy directed a lot of the shows when he was running Cardinal. And um, one of the things that was actually a big topic of discussion when I was interviewing for this job was that I said it's important. I, when I was talking to the board who were you know doing the hiring process, I said it, I think it's really important both for any leader's sanity that they're not burning the candle at both ends Ah. all season long as i said when i'm directing a show i'm pulling 12 to 14 hour days for several weeks in a row that's unsustainable year round week round (laughs) yeah yeah it's exhausting so by the time the show opens i'm exhausted yeah yeah (laughs) um but also for our audience and for our artists it's really important that we get other voices other ideas other points of view 
in to lead our productions so that it's not just my vision all the time. You know, part of my role as an artistic director is to be a curator of art, not just the director of everything that we're doing. And I think, you know, for Cardinal to uh, be an established regional theater, it's really important that we have a multiplicity of points of view in our productions and it's not just my vision all the time. I'm a writer and mm-hmm. an author, mm-hmm. and I know that at the end of a large project, I'm really tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel that same thing toward the end of a production? You've been going over it. You've been hearing it every day. Yeah. Does it drive you nutty? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it depends on the show, and it's usually that I'm not sick of it necessarily. I I, I usually don't get sick of the pieces that I work on because I try to be selective about what I'm choosing Uh to do and and take on projects that I'm passionate about. Um, But different shows take a toll in different ways. So for example, um, one of the shows that I directed before I left Philadelphia um, was a Eugene O'Neill play called Moon for the Misbegotten. And it's a really heavy, heavy piece. And, And that was one of the shows in recent memory that by the time we opened it after, you know, about you know, three weeks of rehearsal and then a week of previews, I was really ready to like let that piece go because (laughs) I get so emotionally wrapped up in it as a director, as I'm thinking about these characters and empathizing with these characters and empathizing with their struggles that I can feel the tension in my body build over the course of that process and sitting through the show night after night after night during previews and tech. So when I'm working on a really heavy show like that, and I've done a lot of heavy shows, uh, I'm usually ready to let it go and and kind of let that stress release. But, you know, working on something joyful, uh, you know, like <laughs> Beauty and the Beast last season, yeah. like, you know, it was it was taxing in terms of it's a big production. It requires a lot of focus, a lot of energy, a lot of wrangling. But when you when it, you see it all come together, it's just this like balloon of joy, you know? So those kind of shows I, I don't get sick of. Say, I wonder, let's say it's halfway through the run of a show. Mm-hmm. Do you sit there and say, you know what? This line isn't working. Mm. I'm going to change it. Do mm. you do that kind of thing? I really try not to. I mean, no. our our runs are fairly short. They're three yeah. weeks. So there's not really, in a longer run that was maybe several months, uh, there's kind of room to drift and yeah. experiment. Um, but in a short three-week run, it's really important that the company just stay on track and do the show that I directed. Mm-hmm. And it's actually up to the stage managers to sh- sort of make sure that the performance is kind of maintaining is what we call it. Mm. Um, and so occasionally, if uh, things are starting to drift for whatever reason, or an actor really wants to try something new, either the actor will come to me and say, hey, is it okay if I try this? And I'll say, sure, give it a whirl. Let me know how it goes if you like it and I and I think it's good, then we'll keep it in the show. Or the stage manager will come to me and say, hey, this scene uh, is starting to get long. I've noticed that the actors are taking a lot of pauses or whatever it might be. Um, can you come take a look? And then I'll come back and sit in on the performance and give some notes at that point. But we don't go back into rehearsal or anything anything once the show is we call it frozen so opening night Ah. we freeze the show and then that's the show that everyone's supposed to be maintaining for the run 
Stick to your cues. Exactly. <laughs> now, you've got a lot of experience in two things I notice when I look back into your life, young uh-huh. lady. <laughs> Directing. Mm-hmm. And musical theater. Yeah, yeah. That is one of my big passions. <laughs> so, Are you a musician? Uh, well, I yes. Not so much anymore, but I grew up singing. I was a vocal performance major at NYU in my undergrad. Um, I also grew up playing the clarinet uh, through high school. So, huh. yeah. So I, have, I definitely have a musical background and yeah. have always been attracted to musical theater. I don't have any formal experience as a director. Like I said, my training in undergraduate was as a performer. Wait a minute. Before the listeners get confused, you've directed a lot of stuff. I have directed a lot of plays. Okay, go on. I do not have a degree in directing. Ah. Yes. Well, there was a um, quote by you when you came to this town. Mm -hmm. Uh, In one of the magazine or newspaper articles about your coming here, (laughs) you said, I learned directing by osmosis. Yes. What does that mean? So... I didn't have any formal training, but I uh, I was trained as an actor, and yeah. I dabbled in a little directing when I was an undergrad. And then I I also got uh, a degree in producing, was my master's degree in, in producing for musical theater. Yeah, you got that uh, at the University of London, the Goldsmiths School? Yes, yes. That's a big deal, isn't it? It's a pretty prestigious university. They had just started this program when I went there. I was actually in this, I was accepted to the first class of producing students and mm. deferred for a year and wound up graduating with the second class of students. So it was a very young program when I was there. But Goldsmiths is a, it's a very prestigious college in London. So it was a, it was a good place to be. So your master's is in musical theater with, and, and here's the little category producing yes as opposed to musical Mm -hmm. theater acting or writing or directing exactly so the program i was on you could either be on a producing track or you could be on a writing track and so we had some crossover classes with the writers um and then some crossover classes with arts administrators and then some classes that the producers just took by themselves but that's actually how that program is how I got involved with um, with my uh, fellow students in that program. We created a show called Ostentatious. Ostentatious. Yes. Austin. As in Jane Austen. As in Jane A U S T E N. Yes. Yes. And what was that all about? It was a musical th- musical Yeah, it's play? a musical. Yeah. Yeah. So we wrote it together. There was, um, I think, seven of us started it. And by the time we got done the seven-year journey, uh, there was five writers on the show. Um, I was one of the book writers. We... This show is really silly. It's about a community theater group putting on their own adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Oh, my. Which inevitably involves pirates and bears and tap dancing. <laughs> you know, it's so it's uh, that gives you a sense of kind of the zany world of the show. And everything I needed to learn about producing, I learned working on that show, both as a writer and as a producer. We took it on a journey from a little pub theater in London to uh, a fringe festival in Philadelphia to a musical theater festival in New York back to London and now it's licensed and um, actually I learned recently there's going to be a production by a community theater out in Oregon in the spring. That's your show. Yeah yeah so every (laughs) once in a while I get a little baby check for like you know, $25 is my royalty. <laughs> Paste it up on the wall. Hey, I'll take what I can get. Now, I like how you say 
you added a bear. Sort of a little <laughs> bit of a takeoff on uh, exit pursued by a bear, yeah, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good old Shakespeare. Yeah. Speaking of Shakespeare, you worked on a musical adaptation of Sense and Sensibility. You assisted Barbara Gaines. That's a big name. Yeah, Barbara was At a the Chicago mentor. Shakespeare Theater. Yeah, so I had been wanting to work at Chicago Shakespeare for a couple years. They have an incredible reputation. They do amazing work. And they've been uh, doing a lot of new musical development. So a couple of years ago, I think I went there in 2015. And the year prior, I had been talking to uh, my dear friend, Heather Schmucker, who doesn't work there anymore. Um, but we, she was working there at the time, and we had a, a, a good uh, relationship. And I said to her, hey, I'm looking to get some directing experience in Chicago. I see you guys hire assistant directors. Would you be willing to consider me to assist and direct something at your theater? She said, we usually hire local people, but if you'd be willing to, you know, be a local and find your own housing and deal with that yourself. So I said yes, absolutely. And I saw that Sense and Sensibility by Paul Gordon was slated for their following season. And Paul Gordon wrote a musical adaptation of Jane Eyre, which was on Broadway in, I think, the late 90s, which mm. is a piece that I just love. And I love Jane Austen. So it was kind of the perfect... Uh, and I love new musicals. So I was like, I absolutely have to be on this show. And um, Heather talked to Barbara. Barbara's directing it. It was Barbara's first um, musical. She directed, of course, tons of Shakespeare. And she directed opera. But this was her first musical theater piece. It ended up being a really good partnership because I brought some knowledge to the table about musical theater. Um, and Barbara was just a wonderful mentor. And I really learned a lot from her in terms of how she approaches her role as the artistic director of the organization. I went and saw her shortly after I uh, came to Bloomington and said, like, just tell me whatever you can about being an artistic director. She does such an amazing job. And she really sets a beautiful tone from the top of that company, that it's a very warm environment. And so I kind of, again, osmosis, learned a lot just from working with her and being in that company and seeing how things are run. Why is Jane Austen so alluring to young women? I think she's a really wonderful observer of people. And especially as a director, that's like half of my job, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is to observe behavior. Right. And, and Jane Austen does that in such a smart and funny and sharp way. It's just, I don't know, I, I love her stories. Not a lot happens, but, but a lot does happen because she's able to get inside the heads of her characters right. and um it's I think feelings of, yeah and her her social observation is really on point and and still resonates today clearly you know her stories keep getting retold and retold speaking of women one of the plays for which by the way this one you won the barrymore award for excellence in theater as the director of this play, that was Lizzie. Yes. And let me, I got to tell you this. The Philadelphia Inquirer talked about this play and described it. It's called Lizzie, a rock musical about an ex-murderer. Yep. <laughs> that hey, that's a big award. <laughs> that's like that's like winning the Tony or the Obie. Yes, it's the, the Philadelphia equivalent of the Tony Award. Yeah. So it is a big honor, um, and it was uh, such a thrill. I actually, the that Barrymore Award ceremony was 
two days before I left town to move to Bloomington. Wow. So it was sort of a, a going away party for what me. What a valedictory. All of my theater friends in one place at the same time. Fun. So it was really an emotional night. I yeah. think there was a tear or two, I'll bet. Definitely, huh? definitely some tears. But yeah, that that show holds a, a really special place in my heart. It is a wild musical about Lizzie Borden. Yeah. And uh, we had my, the, I was working for 11th Hour Theater Company at the time, which is a small company in Philly. Mm-hmm. We had done it as part of a concert series that we launched in, we launched the concert series, I think, in 2014 and did Lizzie as a concert in 2000. No, we'd launched it in 2013 and did Lizzie in 2014, I think. And then it was very popular and we brought it back as a full production in. I guess it was, we performed it in 2017. It's four women, four really kind of badass women <laughs> who have to, you know, really rock it out. And it it's a very uh, interesting and in a lot of ways very accurate portrayal of the Lizzie Borden story. Right. Um, the writers really did their research. They're, they're really smart guys. And the way they were able to incorporate a lot of uh, the actual testimony from her trial and things like that was fascinating. It was it was a piece that kind of the more I dug into the true history, the more impressed I was with what the writing team had done with this show. Yeah. And it has this sort of almost goth vibe to it. Right, of uh, course. Uh, I kept describing it to people as um, uh, if, if the band Evanescence were to write a musical – this is the musical they would write. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that gives you a, a little idea of the genre. Um, and I did the show with four of my favorite actresses in Philadelphia. So every minute was a joy. We actually went to um, Fall River, Massachusetts on a road trip and saw Lizzie Borden's real house. No kidding. Uh, got a private tour and got the backstory from, you know, the the people in the know there. Uh, so it was in so many ways over the course of a couple of years, just like a total joy to work on this really, really, really dark musical. Now, while you were at the 11th Hour Theater Company, you were part of something called the Musical Theater Lab. What was that all about? So I started um, a couple of years ago. I had gotten a bunch of emails from various people around town there was something in the air and there was a lot of people who were writing and coming to me for advice or guidance uh, or help getting connected with a, a writing partner. So I decided to put that into action and we actually started a monthly kind of meetup, which we call the Musical Theater Lab, for local writers and composers. So we did things like they would present work from a piece that they were writing. We'd give them feedback or uh, we would team them up with new writing partners and give them an assignment. Uh, so one of my favorite things that we did was we teamed people up with new partners and then they were assigned to write a song that would be in like the Star Wars musical. So they huh. had to look at the first movie, the original yeah. one, and pick. Uh, they picked um, a writing partner and they picked a character out of a hat and then had to write a song for that character um, based on the original Star Wars movie. So we had someone write like a really funny song for Chewbacca. And... Hey, you theater <laughs> folk have fun, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So it was a way for people to to get feedback. You know, a lot of times when you're writing, you're, you're sort of just in your own silo and it really helps to have some other brains in the room. So 
I'm just assuming that you're way too busy to start something like that up again here. Uh, right now, probably yes, but I also haven't. Uh, the the reason the impetus for starting it in Philadelphia was just I had noticed there was a lot of people actively working on stuff, and I just I haven't quite seen that yet um, as far as musicals go here right. in Bloomington. Do you find that the pool of talent here is enhanced by the school? Yes, for sure. Of course, we're we talented actors, talented writers talented musician. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, we would not be able to do what we do without a strong theater department at IU or a strong music school at Jacobs School. You know, we pull uh, from their talent pool on a pretty regular basis. Do they get any kind of credit for being in your production? Well, if they're working for us, they're getting paid. Yeah. Um, and they get to put it on the resume. So, uh-huh. yeah. And I mean, so we, that's we the value. Yeah, yeah, we haven't done any sort of... Um, you know, uh, independent study credit situation, at least with the actors. But we also have people working in our office, graduate students who are part of the O'Neill School who do, uh, I think it's called, we were just talking about it at uh, our staff meeting today. We have people who are pursuing arts administration degrees who come and essentially do a work study Hmm. with us uh, as part of their project. Now, as you say, one of your tasks uh, as the artistic director of the Cardinal Stage Company. And again, our guest this week, Kate Galvin, is to select the plays mm-hmm. that are going on. How do you do that? Do you just like, you know, go online and say, geez, what's good? Or do you have, you know, this list of plays in your head that you say, one day I'm going to do this, one day I'm going to do that? Sure. It's a little bit of both. So, Given our mission to be sort of a big tent theater company Uh and present a diverse array of work to reach a wide audience um, in Bloomington and the surrounding region, we we have some some pieces in place in terms of genre, I would say, that guide my thinking about how to select the plays. So, for example, The Christmas Show. It's got to be a musical. It's got to be something family-friendly. And it's got to be something that we can um, really appeal to. Uh, it, it needs to be uplifting. It needs to have the holiday spirit. It should probably have kids involved in some capacity. You know, they're a huge driver for us of, like, families want to bring their kids to see other kids on stage, you know? So that actually narrows the field quite quickly, um, all of those those kind of rubrics. And then uh, we have historically been working with the College of Arts and Sciences on their Themesta program uh-huh. every year. So depending on what the theme is of a particular year, that guides my thinking and how we're going to program our fall show. So for example, this year, the theme is remembering and forgetting. And so Great Gatsby falls perfectly into that theme. La, 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 la. Join us Monday for Big Talk Extra during the daily local news at 5 p.m. for the complete lineup of plays in the Cardinal Stage Company 2019-2020 season. My guest this week on Big Talk, Kate Galvin, the Artistic Director of the Cardinal Stage Company. Kate, thanks for being on Big Talk. Thanks so much for having me. 